0: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Okay, so over the past five weeks, we have been looking at the book of Galatians, and basically what we have here is Paul has started a couple of churches within the region of Galatia. He has inspired them, he has led them, he has preached them the gospel, they have accepted the gospel, but as Paul has walked away to go start other churches, to go do other things, Jewish Christian missionaries have, have snuck in and started teaching things that Paul would totally disagree with to his new church starts, if you will. Paul has preached a gospel that is just about grace and just about Jesus and people sitting at this shared table, whether they be Gentile, which means non-Jewish people, or Jewish Christians that are serving Jesus. We can all sit at this table together. And folks, this is good news for us. Because at the core of this, this means that we don't have to go through Jewish rituals and rites in order to become part of the family. What the Jewish Christian missionaries came in to say is, listen, it's not just about following Jesus. It's not just about accepting him through faith. It's not just about following him. In fact, you have to go above and beyond that. You have to be, if you're a male, you have to be circumcised. You have to observe the right food laws. You have to eat the right stuff with the right people at the right table. You have to do the right things on Sabbath. You have to observe the laws. You have to become Jewish. This is what these people are saying. And when Paul hears about this, he is fuming. I can't believe that you guys would leave this gospel of grace and hope and beauty that's rooted in Jesus and our commitment to him. And you're going back now to the law to be a slave and a servant to this. I can't believe, Galatians, that you've done this. Let me give you 19 reasons why this is a bad idea. And over the last couple of chapters, we have seen Paul lay out his case as to why this is in fact a bad idea. He says, I have received this gospel, this good news of Jesus from God himself on the road to Damascus. It has been revealed to me. I didn't have to go learn it from people. I didn't go to the Jerusalem church to learn it from the head honchos. I didn't go talk to Peter about this. This is something that God has given to me and to me alone. And remember that time when I went and I actually did talk to these Jerusalem leaders and they said that this gospel was good and everything was okay. And that my main man, Titus, who was on this trip, who was a Greek, the text says, he didn't have to be circumcised in order to be in the family. Remember when everybody was on board with that. But now Paul is hearing about these Jewish Christian missionaries trying to steer the ship in a different way where people are going for Paul in a way that is counter to the gospel. Now we're making good headway in this book, ladies and gentlemen, we are making fine headway. We are now in chapter three of a six chapter book and we are excited about that. This is Galatians chapter three um, and we're only gonna read five verses this evening, okay? So we are gonna slow the pace down a little bit. This is Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse one. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? or by your believing what you heard. The word of God for the people of God. Now, this is Paul in the midst of this argument. He has taken off some time from directly addressing his Galatian churches. He has gone back kind of in a time capsule to retell some stories in the past that helps to affirm what he is now going to say to them. But here he picks it up and says, you foolish Galatians. Our main man, Richard B. Hayes says this. He says, the preacher who follows the message of this passage will call the congregation to remember and reclaim their identity as God's people solely on the basis basis of their living experience of God's grace and power. For those of you that know me and for those of you that know Paul, this is strange to remember and to reclaim our identity solely on the basis of our living experience of God's grace and power. As we'll see, Paul takes these five verses to say, remember when, remember your experience, remember your story, remember where you have come from. And I'd like to pause this evening and to at least challenge us in these few moments to remember where we have come from and to reclaim our identity, to reclaim those moments in our life that no one can take away from us except for ourselves. Those experiences that we have had that seem to provide support for this faith that we have in Christ. Now I open this by saying that doesn't make me feel good because I know that there's people in the room right now that are saying, okay, experiences, experiences. It doesn't really go too far because my stories are my stories and your stories are your stories and your stories can't be told to prove to anyone that God is real, that God is good, that God exists in your life, that God is present in this place. Those aren't necessarily empirical proofs, but Paul is pausing here and pushing us into this realm of remembering and reclaiming our identity based on our experience. Another scholar, Scott McKnight says, experience is an integral part of all of our lives. And we strip our Christian faith of one of its most important dimensions if we rob it of experience and pretend that Christianity is unemotional, unobservable and untouchable. Now, I do know, as I mentioned, that there is a difficulty perhaps for us in locating and affirming and trusting our spiritual experiences. For many of you, as you sit in this room, there are those moments in your life when you feel close to God, where you feel in God's presence. And then there are moments when you have stepped away from from that experience, and then you begin to think, was that real? Did that really happen? Did God meet me in this place? Did God really say those things to me? Did God really give me a vision for my future and for the purpose that he has in my life beyond loving him and loving others? Did God really speak into my spirit to tell me to go into this program at school, to pursue this job, to date this person? To Did God... Was that really from God or is that something that I've made up? In the moment, we feel right there, and sometimes as we move away from that and other things come into our lives, we begin to doubt, and we begin to question, and we begin to move in a different direction. I think that this is completely normal, and I don't really know what I can tell you other than to do what Paul is telling us here, to, to remember and to reclaim some of those moments. This is the best that I could come up with, and this is going to let you down, okay? So just collectively, we'll go, "oh." That wasn't, wow. I know, though, that I'm standing here in front of you because of a series of events that took place in my life over the course of five to six to even 10 to 15 years. I know that I am in this place for a purpose and for a reason and for perhaps a a calling. But those days when I doubt that calling or when I just wanna cash in my chips, they come quite often. Pastoral ministry is not the best type of uh, vocational servitude that you can go into, perhaps. But I think that everybody has those days, whether you're a nurse or you're a teacher or you're a stay at home mom and you want to rip the hairs out of your head one by one as your kid is upstairs screaming and throwing things. I can't speak from that, from personal experience. Our kids are angels, and that would never, never happen, of course. But I know that I'm in this place because of the experiences I had along the way where I ended up at Bible College because I was wanted to hang out with my friend and he said I could play soccer there and that was good enough for me to go and I really I just wanted to find girls and date them and play soccer. Uh, the dating bit did not work out at all at the Bible College. Uh, come to find out that's not the place uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> So I was there, but it wasn't until I sat in front of men and women who knew the scripture in a way that I had never heard before, where when they opened things up and they began to discuss who Jesus was and all of the ancient Near Eastern background of the Old Testament and that first century Jewish context of the New Testament, I was hooked. And I remember taking a Greek exegesis class, right? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Like your, your inner nerddom is just exploding. But like I was in this Greek class learning about the Bible and I was just, I was hooked. And it's been like conversations and books and people along the way that have kind of pushed me into this path. And I don't know your stories, but I do know that there are days when the stuff is hitting the fan, whether it's hitting the fan at home when we're trying to raise two, two headstrong children um, or when the stuff is hitting the fan with church difficulties or when the stuff is hitting the fan with my own personal um, health or lack thereof or just whenever, and I have to go back to these moments and remember and reclaim my identity and who God is calling me to be, not just as um, a son, but to reclaim my identity as one who is is being called in this particular um, vocation, who has experiences that cannot be denied or really cannot be explained. But I know for a lot of us, there's difficulty in locating and affirming and trusting those moments that you have had because when you're looking back on them, you're no longer there. If you go to these retreats and it just seems like everything's clicking and you're on the mountaintop and then you come back home and you find yourself in commons or you find yourself back at your job and you just like saying, what happened? I was there and now I'm here and how do I bridge those two gaps? And this is what Paul is asking these people to remember. Now, in this context, this is a little bit more weighty because what has happened is people have moved from the old covenant. People have moved from how God used to relate to people and how people used to um, affirm their identity. This used to be in the Old Testament about circumcision and following the law and following the Sabbath rules and following this uh, food laws. This is how you showed yourself to be in God's family. This is how you showed yourself to be part of the Jewish community. But when Jesus showed up, and I can't do much, um, I can't do everything that is deserved here in this graphic. You just see it's a little stick cross, but this has fundamentally changed the fabric of human history. And because of that, it shifts from a uh, flesh-focused sort of uh, engagement within relationship with God and a law-focused relationship into a spiritual experience where the spirit of God indwells in us and we are in the family based on Our faith, But what the Galatian churches have done based on bad teaching is everything has gone backwards. We've seen now where the faith and the spirit that they have, they're wanting to go into another direction. And the Jewish Christian missionaries say, I'm glad that you guys had this experience. I'm glad that you read these books. I'm glad that you had these moments. I'm glad that this professor spoke into your life. I'm glad that you have this family who's really rooting for you. I'm glad that you had these mountaintop moments. But listen, you need to get circumcised if things are really going to go well. Listen, you really got to start eating the right food. Lay off of the baby back ribs and the shrimp scampi. Like, that's not what we're about. You've got to do these certain things. And what they're going is they're going into a different direction where it's not about following Jesus. It's about becoming Jewish. So Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has... Bewitched you. Interesting term that Paul uses here. He's talking about like, this is a, a magic type term. Who has put a spell on you? Who has completely shifted the frame of your thinking? And one commentator sneaks in a little funny bit here. Hopefully it'll come across. He says, given the Gentile aversion to circumcision, the teachers must indeed have been virtual magicians to have made the Galatians long to come under the law. You know what I'm saying? Get it? <laughs> yeah. They had to be magicians because we're talking about grown men who are now saying, yes, I'd like to get circumcised in order to be in the family. But what Paul is saying, who has bewitched you? You foolish Galatians, why are you going in the wrong direction? Why is it that you want to be circumcised? And this is probably why. Because Abraham is known at this time and throughout Jewish history for a long period of time as the father of proselytes. A proselyte is one who is outside of the group, who becomes part of the group. A lot of times this is religiously motivated. So for someone who is outside of the bounds of the Jewish community, comes into the Jewish community and becomes a proselyte. Someone who is not Jewish comes in to become Jewish and goes through all of the rites and rituals of becoming Jewish. And people have looked back in the history and seen Abraham as the first one of those people. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, it says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. In other words, Abraham is out there somewhere and God says, listen, you need to leave there and come and hang out with me. You need to leave where you're from and what you know and come in and start this family. You need to be removed from this outside and come to the inside. God goes on to say, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham is the guy. And in order for us to understand what Paul is talking about in the rest of the book of Galatians, we have to understand how important of a figure Abraham is in the Old Testament. Once on the outside, brought in to begin this family, Abraham as the father of the proselytes, the first one who converts to this faith group, if you will. In Joshua chapter 24, he tells us a little bit more background about Abraham and his family unit. It says, Joshua said to all the peoples, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, they lived beyond the Euphrates river. They were not from here. They were out there. They were brought in, but they worshiped other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Sierra to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Abraham used to be out there. Abraham potentially could have been worshiping other gods. There's all sorts of really crazy Jewish interpretive traditions about Abraham not worshiping gods and like standing up to his parents saying like, no, you can't worship gods. And there's like birds, flying around and there's stuff happening. There's all kinds of crazy Jewish stories about Abraham trying to stop all of the idol worship and the the things that are not edifying to God. But here we see Abraham on the outside being brought in. Abraham is the father of the proselytes. Okay, we are going somewhere with this, okay? But this is like serving as the background for what uh, Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter three. There's a link between circumcision and perfection. If Abraham is the proselyte, he's been out there, he's been brought in. There's things that Abraham has to do. Now get this, within that whole frame of Jewish thinking, when we look at Genesis and we get to Genesis chapter 17, God says, Abraham, you've got to be circumcised. And that circumcision will be for all people for all of time, okay? Now, in the Jewish tradition, they link this concept of circumcision to Abraham finally becoming who Abraham is supposed to be. So Abraham's on the outs. He's brought into the family. But it's not until he goes through this very ancient and very... painful ritual of circumcision to become part of the family. And this is what uh, some Jewish interpreters say, great is circumcision for in spite of all the virtues that Abraham, our father fulfilled, he was not called perfect until he was circumcised. As it was said in Genesis 17, walk before me and be thou perfect. This is really new for a lot of you, but I doubt that as you flipped through Genesis chapter 17, you said, yeah, yeah yeah, that makes sense. God was just waiting for Abraham to be circumcised before he was, he was perfect. Uh, Genesis Rabbah, which is another uh, Jewish text, that says circumcision removed Abraham's only blemish. In this case, that would be his foreskin. You guys seem, you're so out of it. Come on, people, that's comedy. That's that's just a little, just a little something there for the, for the kids, not for the kids. Circumcision, it removed Abraham's only blemish. This is the ideology within the Jewish interpretive framework that Abraham, he's the father of the proselytes. He was out, now he's brought in. And the way for him to become perfect or on the way to perfection, what God is really wanting for him to do is to be circumcised. And there's also a link between circumcision and the flesh. And this is how we're going. We're going places, guys. Just stay with me. I'm weaving something together. Here. So the link between circumcision and the flesh, this is from Genesis 17. This is when God says, This is my covenant with you, Abraham, and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. You can see why this is such a big deal because Paul shows up and says, Forget it. You don't have to be circumcised. And the Jewish Christian missionaries say, Ah, yes, you do do you got to be because this is a this my flesh forever for it's an everlasting covenant we've got to do this we've got to mark ourselves off as the people of god now understand that this is how paul is weaving this in he says to the galatian churches he says are you really so foolish as to think that having begun in the spirit you are now being perfected by means of the flesh The churched people in the room, you've heard something like this, the dichotomy between spirit and flesh. And you think, oh, well, they're talking about like my spiritual stuff. They're talking about when I wake up at 5 a.m. and listen to K-Love, and I'm just really like vibing and like... I'm in that mountaintop moment and they give me that little verse they say you know Jeremiah 29 and they talk about like I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Yes, you do, Lord. And you're like that's that's the spiritual stuff, but when you get into the flesh. When you get into that flesh and you start going on your Netflix and something pops up and you're like, "Oh no, that is the flesh, the fleshly side of me <laughs> that is wanting me to watch this show that's that's fleshly." <laughs> That's a terrible way to describe shows. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's this dichotomy between the spiritual side your devotional side, like your, your spirit person and the flesh that wants you to go in the wrong direction. But what Paul is actually saying in this context is, are you really so foolish having begun in the spirit, having experienced what the spirit of God has for you, understanding who Jesus is and following him and eating shared meals with people from all different places, not being Jewish, but understanding and experiencing who Jesus is and how good he is. Are you really so foolish that now you want to go back not to the fleshly Netflix but to circumcising yourself are you really so foolish that you want to get back to that are you really so foolish that you want to take the spirit and faith and then bring that back so that you're heading towards flesh and law is that what you're wanting to do In Galatians chapter six, he really, Paul brings this to a head. He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. This is what the Jewish Christian missionaries want. They want people to be circumcised so that they can keep tabs on who's in and who's out. And this is how they understand this to be. J.L. Martin says this, and I doubt this is, the only, this is the only time you've seen some of these words on a PowerPoint slide in a church service, but just deal with it. The teachers take pride in cutting off your foreskins. This is what the Jewish Christian missionaries are saying, or at least this is how he's thinking about their... Um, framework, but with considerable sarcasm in this text, Paul refers to an important aspect of the teachers of the Jewish Christian missionaries message. And this is the question is one really put on the road to perfection by removing the foreskin of the penis, Abraham, he's a proselyte he's brought in and he's moving towards perfection by being circumcised. And now the Jewish Christian missionaries are trying to get the Galatian churches on board with this. Guys, do you feel in this moment like you have really entered into a completely foreign territory? We are no longer in the 21st century American context. We are firmly embedded in a first century Jewish context trying to figure out what in the world is happening as you guys sit there and say, why does this guy keep saying foreskin and circumcision and penises so much as we're trying to learn about Jesus? Okay, but this is what's happening. They're trying to go in this in this wrong direction and the Jewish Christian missionaries are trying to get these church um followers here in Galatia to move towards Abraham and circumcision and perfection and flesh and law and to move away from the spirit. But Paul pleads with him, guys, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. This is Paul's whole MO when he is teaching and when he is preaching. It's not about circumcision. It's not about food laws. It's about Christ. This verb that's used here about clearly portraying, it sends this image of like, um, Paul has created such a vivid image that they could not walk away from the truth of Jesus. Now I'm a bit old. So I remember being in uh, the Bible college trying to find the ladies and playing soccer. And I remember one time we went on a trip to go see The Passion of the Christ. And I remember that as we were sitting in the theater, like, the lights are low, and I saw a guy, like, two rows up that had nachos and a big soda, and I was like, well, that's strange. But we're all watching this film, and when the credits roll, nobody moves, and when the lights come up, nobody moves, and when we go to our cars, we go to our cars in silence, and when we sit in the cars and we start the engine, nobody says a word, and it's not until, like, an hour or maybe even two hours later that somebody finally says Something because we don't know what to do with the images that we have just seen. Now, I hate to break this to you, but I'm going to. Like, there's a, a lot of um, over-dramatization of this in Mel Gibson's portrayal, but still, what we have is a vivid image of Jesus dying for our sins, and we can't shake it. And what Paul is saying is, I gave that to you. You know who he is, and you know what this is about, but why are you being compelled to go in the opposite direction? He continues by asking this question that frames these five verses. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? And again, in Paul's context, this means, did you receive the spirit by being circumcised or by following the right food laws or by observing the Sabbath laws? Did you receive the spirit by becoming Jewish by, by observing these rites and rituals, or did you receive the spirit by believing what you heard? Again, Richard Hayes says the spirit is the single sufficient sign that the Galatians already have been adopted into God's family. Therefore, the missionaries or the teachers or the Jewish Christians, however we want to talk about them, their demand for circumcision is superfluous. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? There is uh, some conversation about what this last phrase actually means. If it is uh, about us believing something, is that the thing that that puts us into the right relationship so that we see, receive the Spirit, or is it really... Um, the contrast between the works of the law or the message of faith, or even farther, the message that has the power to elicit faith. And some people, what they want to do is with that conversation, they want to move beyond the things that we do to put us into that sphere, the things that we do to bring the spirit into our lives and to see what God has done in our lives. As if Paul keeps saying, like, it's not about the things that you are choosing to do, but it's the things that God is doing in and through you and for you. So I ask again, does God, give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard or by the message that elicits your faith. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make here. He is trying to make the point that God is at work and God is at work through Christ and the spirit in us. There's a lot of this passage, right, that we can't touch with a 10-foot pole. There's a lot of this stuff where we... we, Circumcision, not circumcision, that's not really our thing, but what is our thing is the same core principles that are moving the Galatian churches from experiencing something, having the spirit in them, and then moving to say like, well, that can't be enough. I have to do something else. I have to merit this, I have to earn this, I've got to go through some sort of like ritual, I've got to do something to mark myself off because when you come over here and you experience grace, it just doesn't seem like it's enough. And it's in this moment that I don't think that we're too dissimilar from the Galatian churches because there's so many moments in our lives where we have experienced Christ, where we have experienced his spirit, when we know as much as we are sitting in these pews that we have been in the presence of God and that God has been working through us and that the fruit that we have shown is because Jesus is at work in us through his spirit. But yet there are days when that's not enough And we start moving to add something to our lives to legitimize who we are in the presence of God. And it's in those moments that we're not so dissimilar from the foolish Galatians who just want to be legitimized. God is at work and through Christ and through his spirit, God has been at work in you. Now, we began this talk, and this is how we're going to end it, by locating and affirming and trusting our spiritual experiences. Because as we sit here, I firmly believe that there have been moments in your life where you feel that God is speaking to you. And this isn't the only argument that Paul is making. Very quickly, we're going to transition next week, and he's going to lay out this whole rereading of the Abraham story to really root what he's saying in scripture. But for the, for the time being, for this moment right here and right now, I want you to think. I want you to engage over the next few minutes, and we'll get kind of like like we do on Wednesday nights at Methods. We'll, we'll engage and allow God to speak to us, and it'll be mildly uncomfortable, but I don't think comparatively speaking to me saying, penis and circumcision, I don't know how much more uncomfortable it can get in here, so we might as well try something, okay? But I want you over the next 30 seconds to a minute to engage and to remember and to reclaim your identity as a follower of Jesus. Now, I know that in this room, not everybody is a follower of Jesus and some of you are on the fence and I would invite you in this moment to allow God to speak to you, maybe for the first time. And I understand that as you go into that, you're gonna have some hesitations and you're gonna have some doubts and you're gonna have some stuff, but here we are. Let's engage. I'm hopeful, though, that as the rest of you begin to rethink and reclaim that you'll hear those positive affirmations of who you are and who you have been created to be so that God can continue to use you so that you don't buy into the lies where you need to add something or do this or do that to earn the affection that you so desperately want, but to hear again that Jesus is enough and that your faith in him is enough. And that you don't have to work so hard to legitimize yourself in the presence of God. All we have to do is trust. So I want over the next 30 seconds or so for us to think about this and to locate and to affirm and to trust our spiritual experiences that we have had or to begin to ask for more of those experiences to happen to put our roots down and to say that God is working because when the days come, when the stuff hits the fan, you will need these moments to look back and to find that God has been with you in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. So I'm gonna sit down and we're gonna consider some of this stuff prayerfully and then after a minute or so, I'm gonna pop back up and close us in prayer. God, we ask that you would help us to remember and to reclaim our identity. God, in the midst of this space, I know that we oftentimes trust our intellect, that we trust the difficult work of digging into the context of scripture. And God, we ask that you would allow us to to remember those experiences that we have had. We ask humbly that you would allow us to have more experiences where you show up in ways that we cannot deny, where we experience your spirit working in and through us, where we feel a leading and a prompting to be about your work in very specific ways. May we have those moments where we feel that you are leading and guiding us. God, we understand that those things are not empirically verified, we understand that those things don't always work to convince the people around us, but we ask right now, perhaps selfishly, that you would continue to convince us. God, that we would be intrigued and compelled to continue to follow you in the midst of those difficult moments. God, for the people in the room that think and doubt, may you bring about peace not that we would stop thinking and not even that we would stop doubting but may you bring peace long enough for us to realize that you are present with us in the midst of our intellectual suspicions God over the next few moments in the next few days and maybe even as we go into this week allow us to slow down long enough to hear from you to listen to what it is that you have to say to us to release all of the busyness that we have that consumes us, to put our phones down for an extended period of time so that we can hear from you, perhaps for the first time in quite some time. God, we ask that our conversations would be edifying, that our minds would be engaged and that you would be present. God, help us to remember and to reclaim those moments in our lives where you have been with us, the moments of our baptism, the moments of our conversion, the moments of um, a real awakening of our spirits, the moments of illumination and clarity, the moments of calling and purpose. May we remember those and reclaim them, and may we understand who we are called to be not through the things that we do and not through the rites and the rituals that we observe, but through the grace that we have that's through your son and through the spirit that we have that is living in us. God, may we leave here excited to become agents of change and agents of hope and conduits where your spirit can work in and through us. God, help us to be open to be available, to be willing servants. We ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at RestoreSBY.org. See you next week.